Good morning, heart and soul. I am always, um, it's as if I am hearing the vocals and music on the video for the first time and seeing the images. And this, of course, is our final week in February, our final Sunday in February. And so it also completes our black history our formal Black History celebration, you know, that that we squeeze into the month of February. And there's a part of me that's just a little saddened because I love the, the focused attention on the truth of our being. Now, I can already hear some of your thoughts like, you know, why you have to stop it. Well, I know I don't. It's just that for the other 11 months of the year, I tend not to have our sermon have such a specific focus. Now, if you don't come often, you may have a different view. Because it could be that every time you catch me, this is what I'm about. It, that could be so. So I know that there could be a variety of experiences happening. I just want to go on record and say that it is so beneficial for my psyche, for me to dip myself into the deep end of the black history pool, for me to just spend 28 days, well, actually, I start before, so, you know, several days just immersed. And maybe this is the year that I will really look more intentionally at why get out. So we'll just see how it all unfolds. But regardless, I just want to celebrate our beautification circle because every week there has been, well, this has been like a little mini museum. So our beautification circle has 
been, they have served like docents, you know, curators rather, like curators for our many black history, M-I-N-I, many black history museum. And so every week we've had something just really magnificent, well thought through, very representative of whatever aspect um, they were featuring. Today it's science and invention. And what I love about that is that they literally required another table. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, I, had, uh, I had mentioned uh, a couple of people or things, and someone on the beautification team was saying, you know, no, we don't want to do the same things over again. You know, and I thought, well, go on with that idea that there's so many to choose from. Why would we continue um, so, I just am celebrating how heart and soul stands in divine honor and appreciation of our ancestors and how that culminates in our Black History celebration. So, kudos to the beautification team and kudos to, uh, to heart and soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know we are also... Um, well, we're, we're at the end of our raffle. This will be your, your final opportunity to answer the question. So last week, and unfortunately, well, this is, is this, well, I don't have it in here, but the question was about, um, the answer to the question is three feet by two feet. So the question was, how big was the box? The specific question was, what size of crate. What, what was the size of the crate that Henry Box Brown used to ship himself and his escape from slavery in Virginia to freedom in Philadelphia? Now that's just a little history lesson in the question, isn't it? I love that. And so the answer is three feet by two feet. And I just want to give a little bonus point if you put an exclamation point there. Because it, it, in my mind, it's like, what? He literally squoze himself in it. First of all, came up with the idea, had a plan with such a clear intention. So the correct answer, again, the only correct answer is three feet by two feet. All right? And so today, uh, uh, tomorrow, or tomorrow is our intention on Monday to have the next question born, uh, gleaned out of today's talk. And you'll have until Friday um, to put your correct answer in. I'm going to remind you again, continue using the same email, just one email and one name, meaning use out of all of the names that you use in the world, use just the same name for us here at Heart and Soul. It helps, frankly, with everything you do. If you could, like, pick a name for us and do it. <laughs> Our bookkeeper said, yep. Show enough. So this, with everything you do here, that would be a good thing, and even for uh, the raffle. So again, so look, this, um, you, you know, in the past when uh, pre-COVID, we would always do um, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. And I've reminded you every week about the lyric that uh, the way Sweet Honey and the Rock sings it, the lyric that says, the only thing we did wrong stayed in the wilderness a day too long. 
And what I love about that lyric line is that it has been the underpinning for all of my talks this month. This notion of an awareness that it's time. That it's time to do something different. And you can't do something different until you be different. Now, that, if that's a new idea for you, you know, as I said that, if you have a thought like, oh, my goodness, let me write that down, or oh, my goodness, let me, let me sit with that, then I'm going to invite you to take some classes here. I'm going to invite you to lean in because this is the very core of how we be and what we teach, this notion that there's no way for you to do anything different, be it lose weight, be it get a new job, be it new relationship, until you be different. Now, that doesn't mean you can't end up working in a new location. It just means it's still going to be you on a job. And that probably is going to unfold the way it has for you before you got to that one. Likewise, in relationship, I'm not going to pull over and park there because I'm j I just don't have a bandwidth. And it's with everything we do that it's about how we be. And so this is this notion of an awareness that it's time to be more authentically me. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that the practitioners and our Prayer and Care Village are collaborating. And this, I'm sorry, next month, in a couple of days, it will move from our theme of love to the creative process. All of this is essential for us to understand that Whatever it is we are experiencing in the world, we are first experiencing it within us. We may not be aware of it. It still is the case. So, these 40 days and 40 items have everything to do with what we're doing. This is not like a separate thing. This is not like a thing, okay, after you finish doing life and your studies and you're practicing the principle, go grab a bag and start putting stuff in it. This ain't that. This is practicing the principle that if, in fact, you are calling for more in your life, you're going to have to make room for it. First of all, many of us do not have the space mentally or emotionally to have a change happen. So a huge part of the bag over the 40 days, you know, there's no way to do something for 40 days and not develop a habit. So there is a method in what I am suggesting to you. It's a high intention. If you, in fact, and don't worry about it. If you haven't done it yet, you're not, you can continue past Easter. That's how you'll do that. You'll just keep going. And frankly, I'm going to suggest that. Because the way so many of us live now is with much more than we need much more than we use, much more than we even want. I am, I've shared with you as best I can how um, I have been going through 
uh, I went through this experience with my godmother, dementia and Alzheimer's and then the stroke, so and hospice care and all of the things. And now I have noticed how I'm having difficulty get, letting go of her stuff. But it simply represents to me how deep the cut can be, the groove that we cut in our consciousness of holding on. Pray for me. Whatever else you're doing, in party, as you're doing your 40-day items, but pray for me, do a little prayer all along because this is truly an adventure in faith. So for our adventure in faith, one of the pieces that we are u- I'm using that is serving me well is this notion of what all it takes, what I want to be aware of, what, what is required of me. And what's required of me is that I tap in. I mean, we talk about it. We talk about tapping into the divine. After all, our, we're, the book we're reading is Guidance for a Spiritual Journey. And we're, our theme for this year is not only an adventure in faith, but also trusting divine guidance. How are you going to do that? Because it's not just saying the words and then pretending. Well, I think you could start there. But in reality, it's changing how we be what we are sensory perception it it so what i came up with was this notion of being aware of how i'm feeling that's how i realized i was having difficulty giving letting go of my godmother's things and sometimes you know it can be like correspondence from her father who i've never met it, what, i mean on the one hand it makes no sense On the other hand, I have been authentically challenged. Now, what I can draw from that is it's me. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the letter or what it might say or when it came or it's me. It's my own challenge, what, whatever I have developed in me that makes it challenging for me to just let go. And I have a sense I may not be alone. But the first thing to do is awareness. We cannot change what we have not acknowledged. If you don't know you're doing it, you're not likely to shift it. It's the first thing was when I realized, I thought, well, I can't live like this because she had a whole house. So if I can't give away stuff from, let me think, her father passed in the 80s. So if if I can't let go of her stuff from the 80s, how am I going to let go of mine from week before last? And so I'm looking at all of that. And discerning, doing my best to discern, to sense how I can make that shift. The four pivots are right in here. You see what I'm saying? Everything that we are doing, we are, we're stringing pearls, we're baking baklava. We are putting this thing together in a way that is beneficial for us to rise up and emerge in our newness. 
in the truth of our being, in claiming the core of my being, using the creative process. First of all, understanding the creative process in such a way that I can discern how my life got to be like this. Not to make that my life's work, not to make that my life's conversation, to simply have an awareness so that I can begin to shift. Oh, it was habitual. Well, what does that mean? Get a new habit. Because if that's habitual, if I set up a new habit, the 40-day, 40 items in the bag habit, then I'm beginning to make some progress to have something else happen. What must happen here is I've got to engage my imagination in a way that I can see something different. Now, here's what's true. Here's what I know. Sometimes, if you are just kind of skimming off the top, this can sound like positive thinking. This can sound like, oh, just don't say anything negative. Just try to, it can sound like a lot of mess. If you're not really paying attention. So I want you to know that I under that we completely understand life and how it shows up uniquely and in patterns for folks. There's a short video that I want to share with you because it has some ideas in it that I've been talking about that, in, that offer us an opportunity to just tell the truth. I mean, just straight up, let's just tell the truth rather than live in this ongoing um, cognitive dissonance where we just pretend it's time for something else. This is such a powerful comment. It really deserves to be highlighted. This is also true of the American South. There is a saying, blacks know more about white folks than they know about themselves. Now, I can't speak about the experience of being a black person who's a victim of racism, but as a white South African who grew up under apartheid, I do know something about the psychology of being racist. Now, in apartheid South Africa, white people controlled the economy. We had all the gold mines and the platinum and the diamonds and everything else. But there was one natural resource that black people had in abundance, that they had far more access to than white people. And that natural resource was the truth particularly the truth about white people. You see, in a racist society, as a racist, you need to constantly be tying yourself up in cognitive dissonance. You need to be contradicting yourself dozens of times a day. So in South Africa, for example, we believed that black people were lazy, that they didn't want to do any work. They just wanted to sit around all day and do nothing. But who did we get to dig the mines, to work in the factories, to drive the buses, deliver the post, build the houses? It was black people. We believed that black people were dirty, but who did we rely on to clean our houses? We believed that black people couldn't be trusted, but who was left unsupervised to look after our children? You see, what racism does is it forces the racist to act like a little child who will demand whatever they need at a particular moment, even if it's contradictory. Sometimes a black person will be like your child and you'll tell them what to do. But sometimes you'll be the child and they'll be the adult. They'll be the one making your bed, cooking your dinner even comforting you when you're in emotional distress. 
Racism damages white people profoundly. And then black people are the victims of that damage. We transmit that damage into their lives. But fundamentally, black people will always know more about white people as long as white people continue to be racist because they will have the objectivity of being able to see that cognitive dissonance from the outside. This is what the writer Rebecca Solnit says about this issue, which sums it up much better than I ever could. I always pair privilege with obliviousness. Obliviousness is privilege's form of deprivation. When you don't hear others, you don't imagine them. They become unreal and you are left in the wasteland of a world with only yourself in it. And that surely makes you starving, though you know not for what, if you have ceased to imagine others in any true deep way that matters. So this is not the morning that I will, that will unpack this. What I do want to highlight is, that, is the quote by Rebecca Solnit. And I want to, I'm going to put it up, I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen for you because I want us also applying it to ourselves. When we don't hear ourselves, you know, I'm still talking about our sensibilities, our, us developing our intuition, our self-awareness is another way to think of it. That when we don't develop our own self-awareness, we don't imagine ourselves whole. We don't imagine ourselves capable. We don't imagine ourselves in the next frame of the video doing well. We tend to, we tend to just replay how it's been. And we see ourselves maybe in a new outfit, but the same circumstances. Is this making sense? Lord, I hope so. So here's what happens to us. We become unreal. We become not who we are, but some figment of our imagination. This is what this, I think this is so important in the way that she has said this. And we, the individual who is in this state of not being able to see beyond how it's been, that person is left in a wasteland of a world with, see, it's only in your own mind, so who else can be there? Even, if you, as, even as you people it with other folks, it's still just you. It's still you making it up. And the one who does that also ceases to imagine others. It's about oneness. So we, we put everybody in our boat. We see everybody as a part of, everyone we think of is a part of the scenario that doesn't work. The false scenario that is not at all the truth of our being. Now, I'm just going to skim it right off the top. I understand, and I'm kind of hoping that IJ will do some depth work with it, but I'm going to let them do them. Um, because all I'm going to do is skim right off the top to remind you of, of, of something I said before. You know, I shared with you last week, I think it was, when I shared about Ellen Craft, and, and uh, her husband and how they um, uh, 
costumed themselves. So Ellen Craft cut her hair and she dressed up as a man so she could appear and also had to put her arm in a sling and just all of the things. So I want you to see this, see this, um, these images here. And Frederick Douglass, you know, dressed up as a sailor. And I told you that they were all came in contact with people who knew them. But a part of this cognitive dissonance, a part of this refusing to see the truth means you simply can't see. Yet, now I'm talking about us. It's easy for us to project it out in this situation. So in these cases, they sat next to people who knew them or would have known them had they valued them at all other than property. Or somebody else's property. Yeah. I don't think y'all understand what I'm saying. That living like this, living in this inner lie, blinds you. So you think you just don't see that. But you simply don't see because not seeing is not seeing. This is the danger in living in a world where you try to... Pre- what, uh, what, what's the axiom? Uh, once I practice to just, where has it go? What a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive ourselves. Usually when we use that, we are tossing it out as a weapon at somebody else. But in truth, it really, for our purposes, it only applies to us. What a tangled web we weave when we practice, when I, what a tangled web I weave. When I practice to deceive because myself, because now I don't know what the heck is going on in my life. And if I don't know in my life, trust me when I tell you, I know if today we act like on social media, it's an invitation for me to know all about your life. You wrote two sentences and now I get to read you about the whole of your being. Only. That exists nowhere but in the asylum. And it's what we've set up. Because in truth, if you don't know you, you are ill-prepared. And if you do know you, you are too busy doing you to be all about other folks. I'm just doing the best I can. So what we find is in a lot of these cases that black folks who were escaping enslavement were literally invisible. Now, this is why the history is so important, how it's told, etc. Because you could miss, you could entirely miss all of this. They say in the San Francisco Chronicle in 2015, uh, Mick LaSalle wrote, they say that history is written by the victors. And we know Bible is... A historical view, but it's not written by the victors. You, you see, so there are some works, certainly the slave narratives are not written by the victors, except that it is because it's only written by, the, it's only the narrative of the folks who got away. I'm just saying, but let me back to the quote. They say that history is written by the victors, but the Civil War has been a rare exception. I'm just going to skim the top of this because you need to know this. Perhaps the need for the country to stay together made it necessary for the North to sit silently and accept the South's conception of the conflict. We still see that in how 
history is now being sacrificed for the comfort of cognitive dissonance. I don't even have enough time. Okay, look. In any case, he says, for most of the past 150 years, the South's version of the war and Reconstruction has held sway in our schools, our literature, and since the dawn of feature films, our movies. Kind of all of the ways that folks suck up how they think life is. Oh, we're living in the lie of it. But look, President Joe Biden, last January, not of this year, but last, said Jim Crow 2.0 is about two insidious things, voter suppression and election subversion. It's no longer about who gets to vote. It's about making it harder to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote and whether your vote counts at all. It's not hyperbole. This is a fact, he's saying. This is getting us ready for an awareness, for an important awareness. Look, I told you that our sister, our beloved sister, uh, Makani Timba, wrote an article for, entitled Apartheid American Style, The City of Jackson versus the Mississippi State Legislature. And just again skimming the top, the... The impetus for it is Jackson being in crisis as the <laughs> as a black city, a black-led city, a black majority city in a state that has a history, a deep, deep history. And with Jackson, every, every time you, or, or I don't know about every time, this time, Jackson moving in a way that can look like they could create some self-sufficiency like many capital cities have around making their decisions and planning, etc. How do you, getting funds, how to use funds, etc. And I just have to say this cognitive dissonance, this, the lie, the, the, uh, the, the, mm. Let me just show you. I hope that this on the screen is large enough for you to see. That after the war, after the Civil War, Reconstruction, so this is the state of Mississippi legislature from, this represents the 1874-1875 class of legislatures, if you will, of legislators, excuse me. And I don't know if you can see it clearly, but there are a lot of black folks here. What this did, not on, unlike electing President Barack Obama, it burst a bubble. A bubble of just a lie. Can you imagine? So the Civil War, over and done, and now black folks, it, it ain't going to make no difference. Can't, I can kind of hear, I mean, I make up stuff. 
Y'all probably figured that out already. So what I have made up, my story about this is, it ain't going to matter. It ain't going to matter. Let them go. Go ahead. Because ain't nobody going to vote for them. They're not going to vote for themselves. Because, see, they don't know you. They don't know who you are and how you are. Didn't know how many of y'all had taught yourselves to read and write. Didn't know how many had stayed up under the candlelight or just under the starlight to try to learn to, to number your numbers and, and your letters. Letter your letters, yes. Just did, because they don't know you. And so imagine when folks were elected. I read that someone said that um, there are so many folks who are still just upset that in the South especially is the way this was said. This is not what I'm saying. I'm doing, I'm just, I'm doing my best to um, paraphrase. Thank you. That's the word I wanted, to paraphrase something I heard somebody say, but it gave me pause, is that the, what I heard them say was that folks in the rural South, so many white folks in the rural South, spend so much time being upset that there are black folks who are doing better than they are doing. And I'm not from the South. So that had not, it had not occurred to me as a dot to dot. You know what I mean? It's not a surprise to me, but it just, it was never a part of, of a thought that there were folks who, who were not looking at, you, the way that I'm made is that if I see it done, first of all, I know it can be done. And then I start trying to deconstruct it to see, first of all, and let's be real, whether I'm willing to do that. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, that can be, I ain't doing all that. I'm, I'm going to have to wait till they come up with an easier way to get that done because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have some of that too. But if I am determined, I'm not back in the cut begrudging folks who have done it. So if this is anything, it's an invitation out of the cut begrudging folks who have. And inviting us to be a part of, oh, see, all of this. If, if we had the time and I had the energy, I just, the energetic band, grief, I am, I am presently, so, I, ju I just don't have the bandwidth for any of this. But what I know is this is probably 12 talks <laughs> and a workshop for somebody who has the bandwidth, the energy, the wherewithal to do that, it's not me right now. And so I'm just, I'm going to have to just skim across the top because I, what I realized is that I could not let February pass without saying this. Um, I want to remind you, Alicia Garza reminds us that because of the way that the rules have been rigged against our communities, we've been forced to imagine a new future. So those folks who were elected during what we call Reconstruction, See, I don't think if it hadn't turned out the way it was, I don't think we would have ended up calling that. You know, we name stuff after it happens. That's how it happens. 
you know, it would have been a period of rebirth, or it would have been, you, you see what I'm saying? But instead, this essential part, though, is for us to imagine a new future, to feel into other outcomes, to see something more, to sense something more. I am a big fan of finding your roots with Skip Gates. Big fan. I'm just all up in that. And so uh, the most recent episode I saw, episode, I'm sorry, season nine, episode eight, was Angela Davis and Jay Johnson. But I'm talking about um, Angela Davis. During that, uh, during her exchange with Skip, Angela Davis said, her mother would tell her, she's in the South, they're riding along, they can't go to the park, and she sees children playing, and she's like, why can't we? And her mother would say, that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, we can't go there, you can't do that, but that's not how it's supposed to be. And Angela said, I knew I needed to imagine a better future. That's our work, heart and soul. That's our work, to imagine a better future, to imagine a more compassionate you, to imagine a more dedicated you, to imagine a greater equality, to imagine us living in peace, to imagine children everywhere fed. Can you imagine that there are children in school required to be in school who cannot eat there? Is there not anything that we can do about that? Imagine us making the kind of difference that transforms the world. <laughs> Begin imagining ourselves in new ways. What? Can you imagine me in a world where nobody has to live afraid? Because, can you imagine me letting go of my past? And glad I have another chance. These are Kirk Franklin's lyrics right here. Imagine me being free, trusting, trusting divine guidance totally. Finally, can you imagine me? Imagine me being free. Come on, Mother Harriet, help me out with this. Imagine me see, having a different sense of myself so that I'm empowered, so that I feel empowered to move in a different way, to think different thoughts, to see life in a new way. Imagine me. That's worthy of all of our attention. Everywhere, wherever you are right now, the opportunity is to begin imagining yourself making a difference. A difference in your own life so that your word means something to you. A difference in the world so that we all benefit from your transformation. Look. It requires that we see ourselves, first of all, that we see, that we see an opportunity, that we see possibilities. And once we see a possibility, that we see ourselves 
as empowered to make the required difference. I want to share with you, I'm sure you all know, I just want to go on record for our collective knowing about the History Makers. It's a digital repository for the black experience. And their intention is one of rescue, preserve, and educate. And I offer you this, I offer you this idea of, of what is available in the world because I just want to tell you a little bit about how it came to be. You can just leave that slide up so that folks can take that in. That it was born out of Juliana's, Juliana Richardson's dream to capture one person at a time the untold personal stories of both well-known and unsung African-Americans and by creating a priceless video collection. So <clears throat> this is a repository that has goo gobs, and they've just begun of videos that now some of them are available for anyone um, and the majority of them are by membership. And so I, my sense is that we can absolutely support this because you want to go here and find out more so that we're not just limited to uh, Black History Month to continue to expose ourselves to new people and uns unsung heroes. So um, many of the contributions that she have have largely been untold and unrecorded. And as a result, they are still largely unknown. There are those stories that I share with you. I had one, but I'm just out of time. I've been, I just don't. Um, and I wanted to use that as a way to allow you to see how important it is for us to have, create the space for America's missing stories, is what she calls it. America's missing stories. So their mission is to educate the world on the accomplishments of black, of African Americans. One of the things that I heard her say in an interview is that, we see the world right now really drawing sides as to what and who has value. And whatever is decided has value, that's where we put our attention. And what we decide doesn't have value really is available to be thrown away. You know, we have our own 40-day process that, that also reinforces our awareness of this, yes? So we know that if it has value, we keep it, and we, we give it a position. You know, you find it, and you go, oh, my goodness, I forgot about that. Let me put that up here on the top shelf. Let me put that up here so I can see it. Yes, if it doesn't have value, we toss it. Unfortunately, we've begun doing that with people. Or No, I shouldn't say begun. We continue to do that with people. So she says it was founded to address the lack of documentation and preservation of the African-American historical record. Prior to the start of interviews in 2000, in the year 2000, there was only one large-scale attempt during the 20th century to capture African-American history from the first-person perspective, and that's the WPA slave narratives. I mean, that's just the reality. 
it's hard to say, it's hard to, to honor that that was the last time that a body of work was put to, and that, of course, uh, the slave narratives are at the Library of Congress. So now nearly a century of African-American achievements and struggles have gone undocumented at the time of their founding. And so her work, their work, is to have a different experience unfold out of that. They've begun documenting it. Take a look. Go there and take a look. Um, Skip Gates says, the history makers is a brilliant way to preserve our generation's history. What they're doing is interrupting that terrible process of broken testimony, broken memory. And he says, I admire this work. Oh, this just reminds us because as for me, you know, I brought you that idea from we've been playing with my 600-pound life not as a weight story, but as a weight story. As one that each and every one of us are carrying the weight of, of our ancestors not being included, of our story existing nowhere except in our legacies and our oral legacy that, you know, families tell the stories that may or may not be accurate. But that's the way we have them because they're not recorded in the ways that she has begun. Well, I personally look forward to a time in which we all say, and unfortunately, I can't tell you who said this, but they, the person with, on one of the segments of my 600-pound life said, I'm not stuck anymore. Everything is a possibility now. And I want that for each and every one of us, that there's a moment in time in our lives and in our living when we come to an awareness of, I'm not stuck anymore. Everything is a possibility now. So how do we get there? I offer you, we trust. We trust divine guidance. We trust love. And in the words of Ricky Byers, no one ever loses when one trusts love. For love is something that will never fail. Love is the answer of the spirit that is known by always giving. Love always sees the truth beyond the appearance. Trust love. For right now, say to yourself, imagine me trusting love just to yourself, your own inner voice. Imagine me trusting love. And then allow your imagination to ride the wave of that divine idea. Imagine me trusting love. And as I trust love, what's your sense? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you know? Dr. Dan writes in Guidance for a Spiritual Journey, perhaps the greatest test anyone can make of God's presence, demonstrating a oneness with him, is the love, compassion, and forgiveness that we are able to pour, in, pour forth instinctively on call and maintain effortlessly 
toward any of our fellow beings. Imagine me trusting love. Imagine me trusting love. We're just continuing to call that in, to rest in that, to allow that to bubble up for us. Imagine me trusting love. Ernest Holmes wrote, when we know our oneness with God and law, what a great burden is removed. Any sense of opposition is removed from the consciousness which perceives unity. Imagine me trusting love. Imagine me trusting love. God is love. So when you have love, you have God. And when you have God, you have oneness, and that oneness must be good. We just breathe that in, and then we affirm, this day I sense the need to go flat out in my declaration of faith and my sense of at one with God. I proclaim and I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. No more will I be like someone in a stupor. Only half conscious or drugged. I decline to be asleep to my greater possibility. Imagine me trusting love. Again, imagine me trusting love. And so it is. Ashe. Amen. Love matters.